Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the property market that is on an absolute tear, but more importantly, what are the impacts for first-time buyers? Sometimes the bank's mum and dad can give you a gift that looks like it's a good thing, but is that always true? You'll see in this podcast, see you on the other side. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my faithful offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurentiel. Faithful I am, Mr. Baxter, and how couldn't I be in such a dapper suit like yours? But uh, to change the pace on that, what I want to have a chat to you about is the property market and that ticking time bomb, or has it got more legs to run? I guess that's the question at bay here. Indeed it is, and I think we're going to look through the lenses here today for maybe from a first home buyer's perspective in particular, which I know is relevant to a large slab uh, of our regular subscribers and probably underpins a little bit more about the broader property market too, in, in my opinion too. So yeah, interesting times. Here we are with a market that is off to the races and has been now for quite a considerable period of time. And for a first home buyer like myself and like many of our listeners, as you mentioned, it's just so unaffordable and it's also not, he can't service the mortgage, right? Because your repayments are high, property prices are going ridiculous. And I guess the question I'd like to ask you is, why has that occurred? We talk about the perfect storm in plenty of broadcasts yeah. before. Look, we, we are exactly that. We're in a perfect storm whereby yeah, we've got incredibly low interest rates You know, with a reserve bank rate at 0.1%. And also I think a, a misguided and false promise on the part of the RBA that they're not gonna move interest rates until at least 2024. And, and I think, I understand why that promise was made, but I think it's a very misleading one and, and a very unfair one to make. It was done at the time to provide some reassurance. Look, it's okay to borrow, rates are nice and stable, we'll look after you. But what that's also provided in, in the free market is a free swing with no servicing of money required effectively. And, and I think you're gonna find that the RBA will eat those words and have to increase interest rates, although the banks can increase interest rates anyway without the RBA moving. So, so just a question off the bat on that, AB, if, if, if 2024 is the date or the year is such that they're not going to move rates until, mm-hmm. I mean, that's three or four years away, right? When a mortgage is typically 25 or 30 years. Yeah. So yes, it's okay now, but has anyone thought about what it's gonna be like post 2024? Well, of course, Mitch, modern Modeling, don't worry about what's coming down the line. Only Let's now. Be in the now, and uh, we'll deal with that later. But yeah, you know, the perfect storm of very, very low interest rates is is, is a huge one. From an investor's perspective, um, you've got to put your money somewhere. You can't hold it in cash because effectively there's zero return on that. Certainly after inflation, it's zero return. Um, so you've got really the stock market or indeed uh, property, and that's been one of the big bonanzas that we've seen. Plus, of course, there's been quite a significant amount of government government economic stimulus, which has gone into the property market, renovation grants, and various other things too. Uh, to go in there. And we've spoken previously about how important property is within our economy. You know, it's, a, it's effectively the largest employer in Australia and it creates an enormous amount of economic activity. But with prices at the stratospheric levels that they now are, it creates a new set of challenges. And that's, I think, what we really need to address today. What do I mean by stratospheric valuations? You know, and you always go, oh, you could have bought a place for 50 grand back then. It's very, you know, everything was cheaper in the past, but let's put some contextual framework to this. So if we take Sydney, in the 1970s, the average price of a property in Sydney was effectively three times the average wage of somebody working in Sydney. It's not a lot. These days, the average price of a property is 12 times the average wage of somebody in Sydney. So four times more, right? So on a relative basis, it exploded, right? We haven't had a lot of wage growth, which is a factor. But then on the other side of the coin, lending practices have changed 
massively since the 70s. So back in the day, you used to be able to borrow two and a half times your salary. That was it. But now you can borrow substantially more than that uh, because banks are far more relaxed around lending. And that's part of the reason why we've seen prices run away and why people continue to get into markets. So to justify what we talk about stratospheric valuations, I think that puts a little bit of relevance to it in terms of people's wage. Now, the big challenge, as you say, is affordability and, and how do you get started, perhaps as a first-time buyer. This run in the property market is fantastic for us property owners. And investors in particular that are buying more and more and more are being accused effectively of ramping the market up, which maybe they, they are. But it's a free market and that can happen. And there are various measures that can, of course, be built into the market to slow it down. New Zealand have already done this, where they're insisting on a high deposit amount to take some of the fizz out of the market. Very, very prudent and smart economic management. And we probably should be doing the same thing. We're sort of lagging behind a little bit there. But the big challenge, of course, is for first home buyers. How do you get a toehold in the market? How do you get started? And when you've got a property price in Sydney with a median price is a million dollars, and you've got to come up with, say, a hundred grand as a deposit, that is a big challenge for many young people or many first time buyers, for sure. You can get away these days with a five or percent deposit, right? You don't necessarily need that 20%. No, 20 is for an investment loan at the moment. So right. for, for a primary place of residence, the deposit you require is less. But then if your deposit is a little bit lower on the other side of the equation, then you've got to buy your insurance policy, your mortgage insurance. So you're still going to be paying in one way, shape or form. And a lot of younger people that are looking to get into markets simply cannot do it under their own steam. Yeah, the reality is, uh, you know, climbing this Mount Everest of getting a hundred grand, for example, as a deposit is beyond them. Is that a good or bad thing? And the reality is to own a property, it's not just about the deposit plus the stamp duty. That's something else. And the furniture and everything that comes with <laughs> well, it. Well, take the stamp duty in New South Wales, trying to you know, wipe stamp duty in favour of land tax, which is far more progressive and something that should be happening. And, you know, and let's be honest, stamp duty is something that should have been eradicated 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, it's just a silly tax and it should be gone. Um, but you know that 100 grand, why do you need a deposit? Well, you've got to be able to demonstrate your ability to save money to be able to service a loan. And I don't think having a decent deposit amount down there is such a bad barrier to entry in markets because you want to show that people not only can get a house, but they've got the ability to keep it. Because if you let someone buy a house and they've got no saving pattern, they don't know how to budget, at some point when things cut up down the line, they're going to lose that house. And that's not a situation you want to see people in. And prevention is better than cure. So having that hurdle to get over at the first instance is kind of the, you've got to pay to play. That's the cost of getting on the field of play is to get that deposit there. Big deposits needed now. And we're seeing you know, so many buyers coming into the market that are only able to do so due to the grace and favor of their parents. And I know you've digged up some, so you've dug up, excuse me, some statistics mm. on, on kind of the deposits provided by parents. Mm. What are those numbers there, AB? So 60% of first home buyers at the moment, uh, the, they're getting a contribution to their deposit from the bank of mum and dad. Okay, so here's your deposit requirement. The question is how much are parents giving them? And this number is staggering. The average amount gifted or loaned or however you want to dress it up, from parents to their kids to get them in the property market, $93,000. There's your 10% deposit right there, but the challenge is obviously on the basis of that, it's, you might have that deposit there ready to go. Mm. Can you service the mortgage? Well, that's right. And we're in a situation, as we've talked about with the perfect storm, that you know, borrowing money has never been cheaper. You know, if you work on a, a, say you've gone in and you've got a fixed rate, one or 2% or 2% fixed rate for the first one to two years, or two and a bit percent, um, you know, your cost of borrowing is next to nothing. 
And so you think, oh, this is great. I've got my own place and it's costing me nothing to have. Uh, and we've been very kind toward the banks or honest or kind towards the banks over the last few podcasts. And maybe this one we might just throw not some shade on their practices, but put the spotlight on the mechanics of how a banking loan book really works. Great for us in the stock market, looking to see where the earnings growth for the company is going to come from. But again, this has got the ability to put a real chokehold on first-time buyers that are new to property investing. So let's explore that now. So when the COVID crisis kicked off, the Reserve Bank, as I mentioned earlier, they've made a promise they're not going to touch rates to provide some reassurance to markets. And it's great that the central bank has done that, albeit probably ill-founded. We're seeing inflationary pressures increase, we're already seeing it in the US. And this is very important, remember, US inflation is really starting to pick up over 5% now. So the Reserve Bank, when all of this kicked off, provided, um, it's called a term funding facility effectively. So what they would let our banks do is borrow money from the Reserve Bank at 0.1% fixed for up to three years. So the idea of doing this was to ensure that there was money that continued to wash into the economy. This was a very, very important economic measure. Why? When times of crisis happens, banks will shut up the shutters and slow down to protect their balance sheet. They've already got loan exposure and so on. And that's a very dangerous thing when you see that happen. You want banks to continue to be comfortable lending, to put money into businesses with business finance. Because that stimulates everything, right? Stimulates everything. It's a multiplier effect, exactly. So you need business to be reassured and the investing public to be reassured. So the RBA came out with that, um, that, that, that uh, term funding facility. That actually expires at the end of June of this year. So all of a sudden, instead of being able to borrow at 0.1% fixed for two or three years, the banks are then going to have to start to find that money in the wholesale money markets. Now, the typical wholesale money market that our banks go to is in the US. Inflation, US, 5%. You're going to start to see interest rates rising there, which is going to do two things. One, mean the cost of borrowing that money to on-lend in the Australian market is going to increase, which will then be passed on to higher fixed rates. I know there's a lot of moving parts to this. That's why I'm an economist. You can kind of understand how all this framework comes together. We'll try and distill it down to the simple chunk. Sure. So the Com Bank, NAB, everyone's going to go to the US, borrow money in the US because that's the typical place for wholesale borrowing where there's a risk of substantially higher interest rates. Also, if interest rates do start to move up in the US, which they will probably before they do here, you're also going to have a, a, a stronger US dollar, which then affects the currency conversions and things like that too. That money then comes back, gets on lent to Australian uh, home purchases, albeit at a higher rate than what it is right now. So if you're Joe Bag of Donuts, first home buyer, and you're on your two-year fixed, um, at say two and a bit percent, when that two-year period is up, you will switch to the default rate, which is going to be a variable rate, which is probably going to be, at the moment, around 2.5% higher than that which you're paying at the moment. That's a pretty substantial increase. Okay, so you just moved into your place, you've been in there for a couple of years, you kind of got used to it on fixed up, not exposed to this crazy thing out there called interest rates, they then start to move up, and you happen to move off your fixed rate into the variable market, which could be you know, 3 4 5% more if we see banks start to ratchet rates up down the line. Now, what impact does that have on you? Okay, interest rates are still historically low. There are people that remember when Australian interest rates were 16, 17%. Crazy. Insane. Um, they're still relatively low. So that movement from being on a fixed rate to a variable rate is gonna cost you probably, at the moment, about $500 a month. But as, as, as interest rates move up, that could start to increase quite dramatically. Now, that's not $500, that's an extra $500 that you've got to find out of your budget. And this is the heartbreaker. Now, this is the key thing. Most people listening to us today would have maybe bought an airfare. Let's say you're gonna go to Sydney, Melbourne for the weekend. It's Tuesday, you get online, you go look at your airfare, it's 170 bucks return. 
and you're waiting on a friend, just gonna check out if we can make the dates, no problem. You wait till the next day and you go, okay, we'll book it now. And the price has jumped up to 250. Now, all of a Diabolical. sudden, it's $80 more expensive. Okay, 80 bucks is nothing in the big scheme of things. But how does that feel? Because you're on the same flight, sitting in the same seat, maybe not even as good a seat because the flight's got more tickets sell. You've paid more for that experience and there is zero marginal benefit for you to show from that. You've paid more, but you've got exactly the same outcome as somebody that was paying less. Now, You'd be furious. That psychology of what's just gone on there is what will impact on investors, uh, first-time buyers, should I say, in the property market because all of a sudden you've still got the same house or apartment or whatever it might be. You've got nothing more to show for it. You're just paying more for the privilege of living in it. And that's a very, very bitter pill to swallow and I've seen it happen plenty of times. And, and so yeah, we're in a situation where yes, there is a big barrier to entry and yes, the market's off to the races at the moment. But as rates start to move up, you're gonna see the slowdown or possible stalling of property price rises. And all of a sudden you've got a mortgage on something that is no longer going up building equity for you. You're just paying more and more to service something that's holding its ground or possibly even falling. And that will then impact on the quality of life you have quite dramatically because you've got to find the money from somewhere and that's where the bank of mum and dad, by maybe giving you that $93,000 gift for your deposit, actually haven't done you any favors because you haven't built the muscle memory up of being in a position where you've learned how to save and how to budget to be able to pay your own way. And so what may seem on the surface, great parenting and let's help the kids get in the property market, if that chain of events as I've described them and as an economist I can very clearly see that that's a, not definitely the path, but a very strong possibility of the pathway we might see the economy going into, all of a sudden you've seen your kids in mortgage distress or even in a position where they could lose their home that you, mum and dad, put your 93 grand's worth of deposit in, all gone. And does that mean that we're going to start to see if if this outcome that does occur, mm. people selling their houses and, and getting out and going back to renting? Well, you possibly see that, but then you've also got people that have been investors buying properties at top market prices that aren't going to want to rent it for low levels. They're going to want a reasonable yield, so rents will start to increase. So the cost or affordability of renting starts to move away from people where it's almost cheaper to own than it is to rent. So long story short, interest rates going up is bad. Really? It's going to be good for someone, and when you've got inflation, it's great for the stock market, so we'll be happy to see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, it's just a question of keeping these checks and balances in play, and, and, and that, it, that it's not an unassailable mountain. That isn't a Mount Everest. It may look like that. Oh, you know, oh, when you were a kid, or when you were buying your first house, Dad, it was as cheap as chips, so I can understand why you bought it. But you know, if I look at what my parents did when they bought their house, or if I look at what I did when I bought my first place. Now, I, I lived in London, and so my first purchase was in arguably the world's most expensive city to live at the time, which was London. And I was just starting in my career, so I wasn't in the financial position I am now. And whilst I wanted to live somewhere, I'm actually just looking at buying somewhere in that particular suburb that I wanted to get into when I first lived there in London, I couldn't afford that, so I had to buy a one-bedroom flat in a pretty lousy suburb because it's what I could afford. Plus the furniture and everything else well, that comes I, with that? second-hand furniture, I didn't have a lot of that either. But also I was able to manage my debt. And when interest rates went up, um, I was able to very comfortably service it. And, 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 and it turned out to be a property that I piled into another one, and then into another one, another one, another one. And it's, you know, it just happens to be the first rung on the ladder. And that in itself is a very important part of this conversation. That is, let's take Sydney as an example. You might want, or, 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 you know, or, or Melbourne for that matter, you might want to live in St Kilda or you might want to live in the eastern suburbs but if your budget is 
you're going to have to live in uh, Mount Druid or Emu Plains or Penrith, nothing wrong with any of those places because that's what you can afford. That is where you have to buy it. So don't overstretch it. Is that, is that your advice? Yourself, especially as we sort of move into um, you know, a higher um, a, a higher interest rate or a rising interest rate environment because that mortgage stress uh, is incredibly painful. And if you haven't been able to budget enough to save a deposit, well, you're probably not going to be able to budget your way through. And okay, we're only talking about 500 bucks. But don't forget, if you were in Sydney, that's a thousand bucks a month extra on top of everything else before so you start. Brandy, yeah. yep. And look, the state government, New South Wales, proactive uh, in terms of their view on stamp duty, but they're also talking of you know, that $25,000 first home buyer grant. First home buyer grants don't help with affordability. And I don't know how loud you have to shout that before the person that gives those grants understands it. Because guess what? If you say, here's 25 grand as a first time buyer, um, what you're gonna find is the value of the property is gonna be 25 grand higher. So it just moves across the developer. They'll say, look, you can buy the property and we'll pay your stamp duty. There's your 25 grand soaked up in there. You know, it doesn't work. That is not the measure that's needed. It just adds further fuel to a fire that's already out of control. So as a first home buyer, AB, to, to really cap off this broadcast, and there has been a lot of moving parts here, as mm. you mentioned, what is your advice? Because interest rates are low mm. and property market is, is raging. So mm. if you have the ability to buy a house, why not at this point yep, in time, right? You, you've got to risk it for the biscuit in times. You, However, I, I wouldn't advocate enough, buy it, get in the market. In the, the best time to get in was yesterday, the time before that, day before that, day before that, day before that. Get in as early as you can in this and get something you can afford. Don't be sucked into the Instagram world that we live in. Oh, I need something that's got beach views so I can put my 95 centimeter uh, <laughs> flat panel 5K TV on the wall with my Klitsch sandbar underneath it. That will come in time. Immediate gratification is not the way to accumulate and build wealth, you know? And, and, and get into something that you can afford, get some equity in the thing and parlay it into your next property. That's simple advice and I'd certainly advocate that massively. And over time, as your wealth builds and as you make the short-term sacrifice, doesn't sound fun, this one, does it? No. Um, yeah, sounds like we're in Great for me. Sounds First like time buyer, can't like wait. purgatory with this. But <laughs> yeah, sacrifice now to rip the rewards down the line. You know, I've got a, a mate of mine who's not a close friend, but he's someone I've been on the speaking circuit with way, way back in the day. He was a young fella who's killed it in property. He made sacrifice, sold a ute to get his first property, to get the next one together. And, and now, you know, he's sitting on a you know, property empire of hundreds and hundreds of properties, like 32. But he made the sacrifice early. And I'm not saying that everyone's goal is to have a property empire but make the short-term sacrifice now. You don't need everything now. We all want everything now, but we don't necessarily need it. And the social media-driven world that we live in, it's easy to get sucked into that on four easy payments and you can go to Harvey's and get whatever you want to get to go in your new, new place. Take your time. Build up the equity first and the chichkas, the toys, the color can come down the line. But build into your assumptions, whatever you're going to do. Think about interest rates and then think about a worst case scenario. And you know, for a lot of people, you know, think about interest rates at seven, 8%. That's probably a realistic model and work out what you can borrow with interest rates at seven or eight percent. Guess what? If they don't get up there, let's say they get to four percent, that extra money that you factored in that you could afford to pay if rates were at eight percent, use that extra cash flow to pay down the principal as quickly as possible, get that debt down as quickly as possible so you can build more and more equity up into your house or your apartment. That would be great advice. Don't, don't try and spend it on money's free at the moment. Let's just borrow as much as we can. That is a party when the music stops. You do not want to be holding the parcel. AB, it's great advice. Thank you very much. A lot of moving parts there and certainly some, some, some really good bits of information. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure anytime. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll see you on next week's show.